I am on the final segment of a series I've been speaking on called Losers of the Bible. People who struggled greatly at times. Now, they're not losers necessarily in the way that we would think of losers as being, you know, morally corrupt, at least not most of them. But there were times where they felt like losers and it just, life was very tough for them. But they went on to become some of the greatest men in history. We talk about Moses. We started out with uh, Moses, how it took him 80 years before he started really to even know God. He was raised as an Egyptian, remember, in an Egyptian home. Wealthiest family in the world. I'm pretty sure they didn't have Bible studies, all right? And I'm sure they didn't talk the laws or anything. There weren't any laws, really. They were just basic teachings about truth. Moses is the one who gave all the laws. There weren't even the Ten Commandments at that time. So this understanding of God, what the Jews did have, was very limited. And Joseph, and, and not Joseph, but to Moses, got little to none of it in his raise, uh, raising. At 40 years of age, he gets himself in trouble. He's got to run for his life. He winds up in the middle of the desert for another 40 years. And again, it's not like he's really walking close with God. He marries the daughter of a priest of Midian. These guys are basically, it's a false religion. They're worshiping gods and idols and stuff like that. Uh, that's his father-in-law. This is the daughter that he marries. I mean, he's, he's not exactly a Bible-believing, walking kind of guy. 80 years of age, God finally shows up and speaks into his life and becomes Moses. I mean, wow, what an incredible transformation. So it took a long time. And I'm sure those 80 years felt at times like he was an incredible loser. We talk about David. David had the exact opposite situation. He started out in glory. The kid's a teenager. He beats Goliath. He becomes the most famous guy in all of Israel. He becomes a great warrior. But then his life turns to awful as he's running for his life. And he has to humiliate himself trying to save his own life, acting like a crazy man in front of the Philistines. And, and in the midst of all that, we read some of the Psalms that he wrote, how he continued to praise God even in the midst of his troubles, which is really what made him great. And then eventually, no matter what his loser status felt like, God eventually lifted him up and he became the king of Israel. Still had struggles even after that, but by and large, he was, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. God loved that guy in a special way. Uh, then last week, we talked about Samson. Now, Samson was probably by, by almost any measure a true loser. <laughs> The guy was a mess. Uh, he was a serial fornicator and always with the wrong women and doing bad things and probably drunk out of his ever-loving mind. I mean, how else can you explain how he could be asleep while they're tying him up and cutting his hair? And, you know, he was out the whole time. Uh, he was a mess. And for 20 years, God used him to push back the Philistine threat to the Israeli people. Uh, and he finally, in the end, destroyed you know, all the leaders and all these people and stuff. But of course he died too, which is the lesson there. Even if God, God is patient and God will still love you, even if you make big mistakes, but your life will really suffer. I mean, just don't do it. It's not worth it. Uh, so that was the lesson of Samson. And then we're going to finish up now today with Joseph. Now, Joseph is really an unusual character in the Bible because as far as we can tell, Joseph never did anything wrong. There's no record. These all, guys, all these guys, some of the greatest guys in the Bible, you're really like, oh man, what the heck was he thinking? They did, <laughs> committed murder, adultery. David did murder and adultery. Well, he committed adultery, then he killed the guy so he could marry the girl. Yeah, I mean, it was just a mess. Samson, he was a mess. Everybody just, but when you get to Joseph, kind of does anything wrong. This is all life. Now, having said that, that means even Joseph still needs to be right with God. Uh, 
you know, you don't have to be a drug addict or an adulterer or whatever to feel like you need to come to Jesus. Um, the Bible says everybody is a sinner, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And quite frankly, some of the most difficult people in the world to get them to surrender their hearts to God are some of the nicest people in the world. They really are. Some, you might know some. You know, some relatives and stuff, sweet little old ladies, aunts, uncles, aunts, whatever, friends that you know, they just, they can't, they can't comprehend needing to surrender their life to God because they're such nice people. My dad was like that. Nicest guy in the world. Never saw or heard my dad do anything bad or offensive my entire life. He was a nice, nice man. And trying to share Jesus with him was really, really hard. I don't need Jesus. I'm a good guy. And you go, well, yeah, you are a good guy. You know, so what do you do, right? But even good guys still need God. And we all celebrated the day he finally surrendered his life to Jesus. And, you know, it became very real to him. So, uh, but aside from that, I mean, just a guy who didn't do anything wrong that we can tell of. One of the few guys in the Bible. Most of them are messes. So, uh, let's talk... I'm just going to give the synopsis. We don't have time to read it all. We'll be here forever. But Joseph. Joseph starts out. He has a dream. He has a vision, a revelation. And in this dream, God shows him that someday all of his brothers and his family will bow before him. Well, he goes and shares this dream with his brothers. Hey, good, it's a cool dream. Y'all go bow to me someday. Well, his brothers did not appreciate it. Now, we don't know... Uh, how obnoxious Joseph was about this. My guess, very. Okay. Of course, I can't imagine one brother egging on another brother. What a shock that would be. All right. But he must have really been an, a jerk about it because at one point, they all wanted to kill him. I mean, when everybody around you wants to kill you, it's you. All right. So, I mean, and people like this, you know, nobody likes me, I don't have any friends, everybody hates me, and they, they think it's everybody. It's not everybody. When everybody can't stand you, it's you, for heaven's sakes. Snap out of it. So anyway, so his brother's out there out in the field one day or whatever, and their brother, let's kill him. Let's just kill him, I can't stand him. So, I mean, can you imagine the level? I mean, we say it figuratively speaking, I want to kill somebody, but they're literally going to kill him. So, again probably a jerk about it so they're gonna kill him well one brother he doesn't want to kill him you know at least he had one brother on his side he said let's sell him <laughs> which if you think about it, is better than being killed okay so they sell him off as a slave to this wandering band of guys on camels coming through the area at the time and then they take a goat or something and they dig blood, take his coat, and they went to dad. Dad, a lion ate Joseph. And of course, they put their dad through this horrible time of mourning and sadness. They were all really jerks, these brothers. So, Joseph starts out, God gives him this great vision, right? Well, you think I'm going to be greatly blessed? No, you're sold off as a slave. And he gets to the marketplace, and they sell him off to this guy in Egypt called Potiphar. So now he's a slave in Potiphar's house. But God starts to bless him. God can still bless you, by the way, even in the midst of lousy circumstances. Don't lose heart. It's when you lose heart that you can't get any blessings. What do you think? Oh, God's forsaken me and my life's so hard. Ah, you know, okay, just slow down. Even when things are awful, you can still be blessed. And this was true of Joseph. And God started blessing him, and he got the best slave's job, you know, 
he was in the house, he was taking care of the household and stuff. He wasn't digging ditches and stuff. So uh, he's doing good, but he's still a slave, but he's being the best slave he can be. Hallelujah. What a great attitude, huh? I'm going to be the best slave I can be. So he's being the best slave. Well, he's growing into a young man. And the Bible says he's pretty much a stud muffin. All right? So he's like this hochi mama boy. And, uh, and Potiphar's wife, and when the Bible says, you know, hey, so again, they hardly ever mention physical traits. When they mention physical traits, it's usually unique. That's what we're talking about Samson. They never say anything about his physical traits. That was the miracle. He's probably just a regular looking guy. But when the Bible says, you're a hochi mama, you're a hochi mama, okay? So... Joseph is a hochi mama dude. And Potiphar's wife goes, Woo, I want some of that. So she starts hitting on him. Uh, Hola, chico, come here, you know. And, and he's going, No, no, I can't do that. And, you know, no, get away from me, you know. Now, he, Joseph was really either really righteous or she was really ugly. I don't know which is which. <laughs> Let's just say he was really righteous because he could have still done it either. So, anyway. So one day, I mean, she's really got the hots for this boy. So uh, one day he's going through the house, nobody's around, and she grabs him and says, come on, boy, let's get it on. Let's get it on. And he goes, no! And the Bible says he turned and he ran, which is what you want to do, young people. Don't try and reason with wrong. When you're faced with wrong, don't talk to the wrong. Don't debate the wrong. Don't try to reason with the wrong. Run! All right? That's what you do. So he ran. Well, she held on to his coat. Now she's really ticked because now she's really been rejected. <laughs> it's a mad girl at this point. So now she claims foul. He tried to rape me. And I got his cloak here to prove it. Well, poor Joseph. I mean, and the Bible doesn't, there's no record that guy ever tried to uh, defend himself. Well, why wouldn't he defend himself? Because in defending himself, he would have had to insult his master's wife. So he just ate it. And uh, they arrest him for sexual impropriety, and they throw him in prison. Now, we often think of life through our, our own filter, but we're not talking Brown County lockup here, okay? We're not talking, you know, some federal pen situation. This is a dungeon, the Bible says. And the worst movies you can imagine that you've seen of old-time people in dungeons, that's what he's in, okay? This is a dungeon about 6,000 years ago. This was not a nice place. And now life really sucks for him. And the Bible says in the midst of that, he continued to honor God. And he became the best prisoner he could be. And then the head guard made him his assistant. So, I mean, life still sucked, but at least, you know, he's rising. You couldn't, I'm telling you, whatever lemon this boy got, he turned into lemonade. What an incredible story. Well, God can't bless me unless something changes. You're wrong. God can bless you even in the midst of your misery. That's the truth. So anyway, he's in prison, but he has all this, God's blessing him, he has all these insights. And one of the things is people would have unusual dreams and Joseph could tell them what the dreams meant. Well, one day, these two guys get arrested. They, uh, one is the baker and I want to say candlestick maker. <laughs> That's a rhyme. It's not a candlestick. He's a cup bearer, okay? So the baker... And the candlestick maker, whatever. So they get in trouble, and Pharaoh gets mad at him and throws him into the dungeon. Well, that's a bad day for you, okay? Now they're free. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to us? Well, that night, they both had a dream, totally different dreams. And they woke up, and it's like, whoa. It's one thing to have, you know, sometimes you have a dream that really sticks out. Well, when a dream is of a spiritual nature, they really pop in people's minds. 
And these guys woke up and they're, whoa, they remember all the detail and they're talking about these dreams and they're all freaked out. Joseph says, I know what those mean. And he tells, candlestick maker, whatever, the uh, cup boy, <laughs> cup bearer, uh, here's what your dream means. Uh, Pharaoh's going to forgive you. You're going to get your job back. That's great news. The other guy says, what is my dream? Uh, he says, you're going to die. <laughs> Not good news, but, and then that's what happens, all right? So the uh, candlestick maker, I can't leave it alone. Candlestick boy, he goes back, and now he's got his job back, all right? So we pick up the story now in uh, Genesis, the 41st chapter. Here we go. When two full years had passed, so he's got at least two more years of sitting in this dungeon, you can imagine how hopeless this had to feel. How he doesn't get bitter through all this is stunning to me. So anyway, he's still down there, and then Pharaoh has a dream. Here's his dream. Pharaoh's standing by the Nile, and out of the river there came up seven cows. That's a weird dream. And they're sleek and they're fat. I would think sleek means not fat, but I don't know. Fat cows come out. And they're grazing by the reeds. After them, seven other cows come up. They're ugly. They're gaunt, skinny cows. And they come out of the Nile and stood beside the other cows. And the cows that were ugly ate the other seven cows, the fat cows. And Pharaoh wakes up. Whoa, that was weird. <laughs> but I mean, again, you know, a spiritual dream, there's something really unique that just popped in his mind. What was that? And he falls back to sleep. So verse 5, he fell asleep again, and then he has a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted up. They were thin and scorched by the east wind. Well, the thin heads basically eat the other seven heads. And Pharaoh wakes up again. Whoa! And again, it was just a dream. Well, he's freaked out now because this, these, these are so dramatic and these dreams, and, and it was very troubling to him, and it was so crystal clear. I'm pretty sure when God gives you a dream, whoa, that's got a different smack to it. So the next morning, his mind is troubled. So he sends for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh tells them his dreams, but nobody can tell him what it means. Then the chief cup bearer, <laughs> candlestick maker, <laughs> says to Pharaoh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. You know, they always came before the king out of fear. You know, they basically said, you're great and I suck. All right, so that's, so they go, listen, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing. And then he says, Pharaoh once uh, was angry with his servants and he imprisoned me uh, and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night. Each dream had a different meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, talking about Joseph, who's now a servant of the captain of the guard. So he's the best you know, prisoner he could be. Uh, we told him of our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dreams. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh's intrigued. He sends for Joseph. And he's quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, so they got to clean him up because I'm sure he reeks. You know, this is not a nice place. They clean him up and they stick him in front of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph, in still total humility and giving glory to God, says, look, I can't do it. But God can. And God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So if you keep reading it, he basically tells the exact same story. 
fat cows, skinny cows, eat the fat cows, seven healthy grains, the skinny ones eat the seven. So then Joseph says to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same dream. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and same dream. The seven ugly cows, again, are seven years. The seven worthless heads of grain are seven years. All this is just pointing it out. Now, it is just as I said, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But then seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and famine will ravage the land. The abundance of the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. This is a great principle, biblically speaking, and this is in Genesis, first book of the Bible. All the way throughout the Bible, the biblical premise is in the mouth of two or three witnesses. When God shows up in two or three specific ways, then you really know it's God. If someone says, you know, gee, I really feel God in my heart wants me to go to Africa. And I ask them, well, is there any indication? Is there anything else confirming that? Well, no. Then I say, don't go until you know. If you say, man, I had this vision. I just felt God. I was watching the show, and I just felt really from Africa. And then the next day, I heard about a guy who was going to Africa. And the next day, someone handed me tickets to Africa. Well, that's, you ought to go to Africa, okay? That's, that's God. The same thing with interpreting the Bible. Sometimes people will take one verse of the Bible and make some bizarre uh, thought out of it. There's a lot of cults that do that because there are some strange verses in the Bible that quite frankly don't make any sense to anybody. And you just ignore them. Why? Because there's, if there's two or three of them, now you got a point. Okay? When there's just one bizarre verse that says, you know, this means such and such. Really? I'm not sure what that means. Well, that's what the Bible says and they create this whole thing. That's how you avoid crazy. You look for the two or three. It's always been a standard of God. So, he says, God gave you two of these dreams the same out, the exact same dreams, different ways. He's going to do this. So Joseph advises him. Uh, in verse 33, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food for these good years that are coming and store them under the grain, up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country will not be ruined by the famine. Well, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. And then Pharaoh say, man, can we find anybody like this guy? And he's, the spirit of God's on this guy. So Pharaoh comes to Joseph and says, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all the people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. When I'm sitting in the throne, the rest of the time, everybody listens to you. Verse 41, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took out his signet ring off his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He now has, that's a sign of great power and authority, whoever has this ring. Pharaoh doesn't have it anymore. Joseph has it. And then he dressed him in robes. He gets dressed out to the nines. He's looking good, a gold chain. He looks like a rapper. Everything's funky. He gets his own Cadillac and he... It says he had him ride in a chariot as his second command, and then people shouted before him, make the way. The only thing cooler than having your own chariot is you got a bunch of guys, their job is just to run in front saying, everybody get out of the way. Everybody get out of the way. So he's got people clearing the road. He's got his own chariot. Life is good. In one day, he goes from the dungeon. He wakes up that morning in filth, misery, no freedom. That morning, 
And by that night, he's the second most powerful man in the world. God can turn your circumstances around. Don't lose hope. And it's really interesting, because oftentimes when people come to me to see me, and this is probably true of most pastors, it's like the first part of the conversation is they're desperately trying to explain to us why God can't fix anything. That's what they do. Well, this is terrible, and that's horrible, and I know you talk about this, and God will do this, but I don't see how it could happen to me, because this terrible thing's happening, and you know, and my wife is demon-possessed, and you know, and, and everything's horrible, and I just, nothing, nothing can change, I know you think it is, so they spend all this time trying to tell you, nothing can change, and they go, what should I do? <laughs> all right. Because I think what they're really trying to say is they want to convince you that there's nothing that can happen, and that, I want you to know, you could be in a dungeon in misery, Waking up and your life is horrible and by tonight your life could be totally turned around. Don't lose hope. God can do anything. Your life is not so bad. Your circumstances are not so overwhelming. You think oh, my bills are so big there's no way I can fix it. My husband's such a moron there's no way we'll ever get along. There's, then my kids are so possessed there's nothing I could ever do. You know, never give up. Because God can always turn your circumstances around. You say, well, Pastor, will God do that by tonight? Maybe. Or you could be in the dungeon for a few more years. Who knows? You know, the truth of the matter is we just need to trust God. Life is hard. The good news, you die. Now, I know that sounds terrible, but to Christians, to people of faith, that is good news. Our hope is not this life. If your hope is just this life, how awful is that? Thousands of people of you in Wisconsin watching me on television right now. This life, this is all you got. What you make, where you live, what's going on in the world. No wonder some of y'all so freaked out. You know, there was, you got wars over here in the Middle East. They're all blowing things up and Putin is doing crazy stuff. We got aliens, we got illegal aliens, we got space aliens. And there's everything going on. And there's, oh, and I saw free. I get it. Now, as people of faith, we can still be concerned about these things and do our best to deal with them and help people as we go along the way. But I promise you, we don't get freaked out because we're just passing through. All of life, yes. All of life for a true Christian is just a hotel. This life is just a hotel, okay? Now, some of you get the Four Seasons, some of you get Motel 6, you know? <laughs> it, is, it is what it is, okay? The good news is we get out of here. Our hope is not in this world. But the, here's the thing. Uh, at times you suffer. Now there's people who say, boy, if you really have faith, you'll never suffer. It's baloney. The Bible's very clear. Here's a great promise in the Bible. At times your life is going to really stink. Let me read you some verses here. I didn't have the guys write it because it would take forever to type it all up, but I'll just run through it real quick. 1 Peter 4.12. Do not be surprised, he said, when a fiery trial comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 2 Timothy 2.3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 4.5, endure suffering, he says. 1 Peter 2.19, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. We're supposed to celebrate even when it's not fair. I mean, sometimes you suffer because you do stupid stuff. You ever doing something stupid? I could write a book on how to, what not to do. Because I've done so many stupid things in my life and suffered as a result, but at least it made sense because I was a moron. All right? 
But sometimes the suffering is not even your fault. It's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. What am I supposed to do? Rejoice. Romans 5.3, we rejoice in our sufferings. Wow. Do you know many people who do that? Christians supposed to rejoice even when things suck. And I know some of you don't like that word, but it is what it is. <laughs> Yo hablo inglés. I speak English. That's the way we talk. Life is horrible for sometimes, and people to struggle, and we're supposed to rejoice in the midst of our sufferings. James even wrote, he says, when things are going bad, rejoice. It's like you should call up all your friends and have a party. Come on over. What are we celebrating? My life sucks. Woo! <laughs> now, your in-laws will think you're crazy, but they already think you're crazy. Who cares what they think? Celebrate life. If you're still breathing, you got something to rejoice about. You can still praise God in the midst of your circumstances because God isn't done yet. And then we read in 1 John 3, 13, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. <laughs> Wee! <laughs> okay. So it's normal. The Bible tells us to view suffering as a way of identifying with Jesus because he suffered. And sometimes, you just got to keep in mind, God sometimes will use lousy circumstances and difficulty to get you to where he wants you. Joseph, sold off into slavery, winds up in prison. He's in Egypt. He becomes the second most powerful man in the world. Actually, other than the throne, he's really the top guy. For seven more years now, you know, these are big chunks of time. Most of us, we get mad if for a week and a half, God doesn't answer a prayer. Seven more years now, he's managing the affairs of Egypt. And then comes seven years of famine. Toward the end of these years, people from all over the known world at that time are coming to Egypt and giving all their wealth to Egypt in exchange for food. And the Bible says that one day, Joseph's brothers come. Now, they don't recognize him. It's been a long time since they've seen his brother. Of course, now he probably looks like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian, the whole deal. And he's got, a, he's got an Egyptian name. They give him a different name, so I don't even know his name. And the Bible says, Joseph turns around, and he recognizes all his brothers. And his brothers came before him, and they all bowed. Now the vision is realized. See, sometimes just because you have a dream in your heart, don't get discouraged. It's exciting. Oh, I got this great dream. Yeah, that's the good news. The bad news, it could be 30 years yet before you get there. Don't get discouraged. Sometimes God will, and I, I don't have the time, but you've heard some of my stories. The truth is, the reason I'm where I'm at in my life is because at times things went terribly wrong for me, and it made me move. Sometimes God will move you. If you're really spiritual, he speaks to you. If you're like me, he moves you. <laughs> <laughs> and you wind up, some of us are in places where, and the older you are, the more you know what I'm talking about. The older you are, you look back in life and you can see, wow, I'm where I'm at today because of what I went through earlier. It all starts to make sense. It's the hardest on you younger people. You know, my friend doesn't like me. They, they're not my friend on Facebook anymore. You think that's the end of the world, really? Or you got, you got a lot more disappointments to come than that, I promise. But trust God, honor God, do the right thing. Because even though at times you might feel like the biggest loser on earth, 
God is not finished with you yet. Who knows what'll happen for you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your encouragement. There's people listening to me right now, Lord, that are really struggling in life. They love you with all their hearts and their circumstances have disappointed them, have discouraged them. I pray that you would speak words of encouragement into their hearts by your spirit. And help all of us, Lord, to realize this is not our home. We're just passing through this hotel until we get to where we're meant to be with you throughout all eternity. Help us to keep eternity always in mind and to realize that everything we're dealing with is very temporal. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Amen.